some people don't respect the law. I'm Sheriff John Bennell. In 27 years of being a motorsport fan, I've learned many things in my time on the force. These Ferrari bad guys thought that they were gonna get away with a clean break to the world championship, only to find out and realize that they were in for a rude awakening, especially when they can't qualify. You're about to take a trip on today's episode of the world's wildest motorsport 101. This two-time Spanish world champion thought he was going to have an easy time when he re-signed with his former employer. But he was about to find out that there was going to be a lot of hardships and a lot of unreliability. And he was going to have to escape if he wanted any chance of winning. Now I'm uh, going to be stuck in this mode for a while. <laughs> Look, we, we can't find the off switch. Find it. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna give RJ a system reboot. We'll check in with him in about half an hour's time. All right, hi, Andre Harrison. In case you've been a little bit confused about the complete and total American takeover of this podcast, I'm here to restore order. Welcome to episode 113 of Motorsport 101. I'm Andre Harrison, of course. Welcome aboard with us. Joining us as, as always, Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Where's King? Yeah, up here. (laughs) What did you do? Uh, Looked away for one second. (laughs) Oh, dear God. You know what? Lewis, leave that in. (laughs) That's perfect. Just leave that in. Uh, Because King doesn't have very many screw-ups, so when we do, we've got to make sure we get him on film. Oh, my God. Nobody, that's my job. Too, too busy naming Brazilian races Mexico. Who knew? Who knew? Um, <laughs> uh, and in the blue corner, as you always representing Tennessee, Sheriff John R.J. O'Connell. But now, yes, hi, hello. Um, I, I, I seem to be the only person on this podcast who has, uh, who has Snapple. Damn it! Yeah, I'm missing. I'm missing a trick here this week. I'm surprisingly off-brand. I'm very disappointed in myself now. <laughs> Andre, young kids, just like Andre, need to be an on-brand. And when they don't have the proper Snapple, it's hard for them to be on-brand. Mm-hmm. With your generous donation to the Motorsport 101 Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101, you can help people like Andre be on-brand for every single recording that comes their way. Thank you, RJ. <laughs> With your generous donation of just $1 a month, I could afford a Snapple jar to have beside me for every episode, so I could say luscious and on-brand. May the good Lord help us all. <laughs> um, as we recover from what is by far the wackiest intro in the history of the show, <laughs> I will tell you all the places you can find us real quick. We are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. We are on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. You can find us on our website at www.motorsport101.net. 
Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, and our, at RJ O'Connell. If you want to follow the show itself, we're on at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you really, really like us, you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Five dollars gets you early access to both this show and Bike Live, which had its 39th episode this past weekend, dutifully nicknamed The Big Six. I wonder what it was talking about. Maybe something to do with Mark Marquez. Just a hunch. Um, that and oh, obviously all the drama coming out of that Valencia finale. Mapping 8 may or may not have been mentioned several times. <laughs> just throwing that out there. Um, for those of us who have been asking as well, Bike Live is not going away just because this was the MotoGP season finale. Stay tuned. There will be a month's worth of season reviews coming your way very soon. So... Tune in this upcoming Saturday. We'll be doing a Superbike special season review for both the British and World Series. As Shaky Byrne won his sixth title, the first time he's ever defended the BSP title, and Jonathan Ray cementing the greatest World Superbike season the world has ever seen. That and all the frills and spills of how we got to that point. So that'll be episode 40 later this week. Right, without further ado, let's get into keeping it 101. So, fellas, how was Survivor Series last night? Uh, it was, uh, it was, <laughs> King, uh, uh it, it was certainly a wrestling pay-per-view. Yeah, it was, it was certainly a wrestling pay-per-view. It was above-average wrestling pay-per-view. I, I avoid the term great because it would, the term great would piss off a lot of people. <laughs> right. Let's, uh, let's start with NXT TakeOver War Games. Oh yeah, my God. War Games matches back. We're t- we're bringing back all the traditions of WCW from the mid to late nineties. And uh, folks, some people have said this might have been the best War Games match of all time, at, if not at least the best one in about twenty five years. Because the last few kind of cruddy, but uh, that was that was a whole lot of fun. That was a rollicking good time. You had the Authors of Pain under the tutelage of Paul Ring in the very first, uh, the man who was in the very first uh, War Games match back in the old NWA WCW days. Uh, you had the, the undisputed era of Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, all three notable, prolific former stars from Ring of Honor who cannot keep people around because they have decided to hedge, hedge all their bets on Bullet Club and other guest appearances from New Japan. And the third team, of course, you have the the international um, calamity that was uh, Sanity. And you put all three of these teams together into two rings with a giant cage over the top of them. And you get a fun time. Yeah, I think the tagline said it all. Houston, we have a war games. Oh, it was <laughs> so much fun. If you if you go back and watch it on a, on a certain promotion's uh, paid uh, premium streaming website... That is available for nine ninety nine a month. Um, you will find you have a good time. There was also other great matches to watch. Uh, in particular, I recommend um, Alistair Black versus Velveteen Dream in the latter's uh, very first uh, takeover match. 
This kid's 22 years old, and I feel like if that first match was any indication, he's going to be very, very good for a long, long time. I'm annoyed because I didn't actually get around to seeing this, but I, like, I saw some of the highlights, and it did look pretty incredible, including the world's greatest self-chair shot. Oh my, oh my god. god, that was the best thing. I forgot all about it. So, <laughs> Kyle O'Reilly, who was part of the winning team, uh, goes goes to try and hit somebody with a chair, swings it, it bounces off the rope, and then back onto his head and knocks him to the floor. <laughs> oh my god. And it was a figure beauty. We, we have to talk about probably my, my man of the match. Adam Cole, baby. <laughs> oh, I'm. Oh my gosh. Are we not going to talk about how how big? Oh, excuse me. The the artist formerly known as Big Damo, currently yes. known as Killian Dane from Sanity, um, just caused chaos everywhere. <laughs> yes, he was a one man wrecking crew. When the fans wanted tables, he just decided to break script and bring out the tables. He locked everyone inside the ring, inside the and cage. And he ate the key. He, he ate, ate the, the key. <laughs> <laughs> what? <clears throat> That's ridiculous. What the hell? He did the whole thing where he just dangles the key up over his head and just like drops it right into his open mouth. Wrestling is tremendous. Oh dear lord, that is And then that... Survivor Series happened. It's the only night of the year where Raw and SmackDown compete on the sa- against one another. Except for those times where, you know, you have Raw and SmackDown superstars in the Royal Rumble like, in the same ring at the same time, but, you know, it's kind of... And, and you know, free agent John Cena, but ignore that. <laughs> you know, don't, don't, don't ever forget all those bragging rights pay-per-views. Yeah, oh, no, we, but no every... let's not talk about bragging rights. That's dead. That No. <laughs> Everybody talks about how John Cena never came out in uh, SmackDown Blue, and I mean, you look look at his jeans, look at his shorts. <laughs> they were they were a perfect deep shade of blue. Yeah, when 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 Triple H even comes out in raw red, when you don't come out in your team colors, that's a serious question mark. Shinsuke Nakamura dropped his usual burgundy for a bright, delicious blue. <laughs> That's Dave Bautista weird. would have been proud. Like John Cena let the John Cena let the team down on this one badly. <laughs> oh my goodness! And uh, the finish was a uh... king. What happened at the end of this? Okay, so we ended up in a situation where Raw had a three man like a three man advantage on SmackDown. They had three guys left. They had Triple H. Kurt Angle and Braun Strowman against non-wrestler Shane McMahon, Commissioner of SmackDown. So it seemed like this was going to be an easy win, but almost, like, it, it was almost cliche at this point. We knew that Raw was going to self-implode. What do you mean Triple H got corrupt with power and decided to pedigree Kurt Angle? He's never done that before. <laughs> He's never done that before. Right. <laughs> He, he ended up crossing Braun Strowman, which has turned Braun Strowman into literally, literally and figuratively the biggest baby face on the red brand. On the red brand, like it's Godzilla. <laughs> it was so weird. First, Triple H turns on Kurt Angle, literally eliminates Kurt Angle, his own teammate from the match. Then it looks like he's gonna team up with Sh- Shane McMahon to take out Braun Strowman. Then he turns on Shane McMahon. 
<laughs> and then they win. And then Braun Strowman has the look of like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> at this point, I wouldn't blame him because Braun Strowman, at a spry 33 years of age, the youngest person in this match of olds. This match of olds and authority figures who just can't stay out of the damn storylines. Nope. <laughs> I, I still um, find it hard to believe Bobby Roode is 40 already. I feel, I feel old just thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. You know you know what was great, though? Braun Stro- Brock Lesnar versus AJ Styles. Now, the way the match was set up, you kind of had a feeling you knew that Lesnar was going to win. My goodness. Brock Lesnar who has become a bit lazy at some points, coasting on his laurels, but AJ Styles made him look like every bit of the $5 million per appearance, well, appearances <laughs> maximum per year, that he gets every, he gets. Styles was just flopping around the ring like a, like a damn fish out of water. Yeah, like if I had to com- if I had to compare Brock Lesnar to anyone in motorsport, it'd probably be Fernando Alonso. Like when when Brock Lesnar cares, he can he's the best guy there ever is, was, or will be. When he doesn't care, oh my god, you can see it. <laughs> you can see what he doesn't care about his job. Yeah, he you can see that from the Strowman match he had at the pay per view last month, where he just didn't give a shit. And this this time he was actually somewhat motivated against AJ Styles. All I'm saying is, thank God it wasn't the original Jinder Mahal plan. Otherwise, I think we'd have been put to sleep. Because I, I, I have a feeling that pretty much it was Brock Lesnar said, I don't want to work with Jinder Mahal. <laughs> That's not worth getting out of bed for. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure, like, Brock Lesnar only wants to work with people who have worked in TNA. That's pretty much, like, pretty much... The, the people that, when, when Brock first entered the WWE and looked over at TNA, it's like, oh, I wish I could work with those guys. And now 10 years down the line, it's like, oh my god, I can. So he cares about Samoa Joe, Kurt Angle, which he, like, had the best match of his career against. And, like, AJ Styles. <laughs> yeah, I, not complaining. Just, Phenomenal I, match. I just, uh, I, uh, what other good highlights were there? Um... The Shield versus New Day, probably not the match it could have been, but still very entertaining to see arguably the two greatest trios of our generation actually come and do battle in the same ring in the same space. That was good. Alexa Bliss versus Charlotte Flair, again, good. Good to see Charlotte picking up those wins. Uh, oh, she never does that. <laughs> She's only had five women's title reigns in the last like, 18 months. And certainly no major documentaries about her family's life that have come out here that have really thrust her back in the spotlight. Never. <laughs> I mean, what what else were we going to talk about here on this Keeping It 101 segment? Well, I do. Nathan I, Peterman? Nathan Peterman. But, 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 before, <laughs> but, but before we segue to that, do have to mention, uh, Women's Survivor Series match, it could have been better, but man, they made Asuka look good. Three eliminations and being the sole survivor. Asuka's existence makes sense. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was hoping that she would go like 5-0 and oh and just eliminate the whole team on her own. In the style sure, of why country, not? Uh, in the style of her countrywoman, Aja Kong, who showed up for Survivor's Series one year in 1995, just out of fucking nowhere, just coming over from Japan at like the peak of her powers, eliminates the entire damn team. 
Yes, there was a women's division in the mid-90s in the new generation <laughs> era. Yeah. Compared to this one when, where Becky Lynch is getting eliminated in 60 seconds while I roll up. <sighs> and and Bailey's not too far behind. Yeah. I was not happy with how that match was booked until the last three minutes. But, hey. You know. I was, I was, I was literally jumping out of my, chair, my couch in celebration. All in all... I give it, I give it mm, four, four busted open Alexander Wolf heads at the end of the match, which are deeply uncomfortable oh to watch. God. And oh my God, why is nobody tending to him? Out of five, yeah, yeah. I got, I got to go for a four Triple H heel turns out of five on that one. That was a solid WWE pay per view, all told. But uh, RJ. <laughs> What's going on with your, with your mans? In this case, the Buffalo Bills front office. Um, I don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> well, like, honestly, I wanted to count Benjamin's interceptions like it was Count Dracula on Sesame Street. One pick. <laughs> Two pick. Uh, it, it, it was hilarious. Seriously. Like, like, oh, dude, what the hell is your team doing? It's like we were just fo- we were just following the the nation, the, the national advice of put Pit in. That's what we did. We put pit in. Oh my god. Don't blame my school for this. <laughs> How dare you throw King's alma mater under the bus? <laughs> yeah, even though, yeah, we ended up in a situation where, like, three starting quarterbacks in the NFL were went to the University of Pittsburgh. It's one of, was, one of them was Dan Marino. <laughs> Amazingly, he was the good one. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> On this Sunday, like Tom Savage, uh, obviously in Buffalo, and uh, Joe Flacco. <laughs> well, Joe Flacco. Well, to be f- yeah, to be fair, like like Tom Savage actually won this week as well. So you know, go Texans. So does that mean Tom Savage is elite? Uh, no, he still needs to apologize for getting me sick. But I, I'm still waiting. Like, how did Tom to- Savage get you sick? Don't don't show up to class with a cold. Don't be Tom's fucking savage. Oh, <laughs> NFL inside the news. King has given us the spiciest, the spiciest news right now. Ian Rappaport, eat your damn heart out. Tom Savage gave me a cold that one time at university. That's going to be on the front of the New York Times next week. <laughs> I am, very, I am very much invested in the success of my fellow Pittsburgh alumni, Tom Savage. However! <laughs> <laughs> so, how many picks did your man throw again, RJ? Um, one for uh, uh, five more than the number of playoff appearances the Buffalo Bills have had in the 21st century. Ah, so I make that five then. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear yeah the Bills benching Tyrod Taylor two days after head coach Sean McDermott says that you know Tyrod Taylor is still the starter makes me think that the front office was responsible for this decision and McDermott's basically just trying to save some face like the entire Bills front office needs to be fired immediately because now it looks like they're going to be out of the playoff race because now they were 5-3 and three, they're now 5-5 five and five. They could still leak it in if they put Tyrod Taylor back in, but McDermott's still saying that he doesn't know who he's going to start next week. It's, Sounds it's like fun. Late. It's too late to tank. 
Unless yeah. It's too late to tank, y'all. Yeah. You're five and five. You left it way too late for this. Have you seen the New York Giants? They actually they actually fucked it up and won this week. Yeah. I blame Lance Stroll. Yeah, like Lance Stroll. Turns out he's a Giants fan, the poor guy. He was far too young to remember when they actually were good. But, uh, have to remember when they won two Super Bowls. We sure about this? His nuts haven't even dropped yet. Oh my god. <laughs> I love that Charles is listening to the, end of the show now. This one goes, hey, leave Lance out of this. Hashtag my boy innocent. He's not your son, Charles. How many times have I got to tell you? He's not your son. Uh, sh- I, will keep rem- I will keep reminding you this until you get the message. <laughs> but uh, No, Lance Stroll is Canada's son. Of course, somebody's got to own him. <laughs> yeah, somebody's got to somebody's got to take up all that real estate in the old Sears Canada that shut down. Oh my god! <laughs> They're too busy building Tim Hortons in expensive places like Glasgow, bastards. <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, some of those affluent Glasgow. Yes, yes, gets. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's still my, my beloved Patriots won in Mexico, so we're now nine and two. Another winning season for Bill Belichick and the boys. And, and my he team, and he wasn't the only winner in Mexico because Marshawn Lynch just decided he threw, he left all his fucks at the border. Oh my god! He sits for the American national anthem and then stood for the Mexican national anthem. Which, of course, pissed off Donald Trump. I mean, <laughs> he, he went to the Lewis Hamilton school of, I don't want to piss off another country. <laughs> but yeah, my team, the New York Jets, were on a bye week. Thank God. Probably for the best. Yeah, for, best for the best. <laughs> best week of the season. <laughs> best week of the season. It's why it's their bye week. Also, shout out to to like my new favorite YouTuber, Urinated Tree, for actually predicting the Bills would make the Super Bowl. So, like, but, but, but no, not Super Bowl. We did make the playoff two weeks ago. Oh dear! <laughs> A usual Urinating Tree jinx prediction. Fun times. Yeah. But uh, segueing in, I have to throw in a couple of cents here regarding a recent bit of news that came out about an hour ago. Um, like I have by the to way, s- today is uh, today is November twentieth, two thousand seventeen. Yep. We recorded this about three, four in the afternoon America time. That's eight or nine in the evening. UK Quarter past time. nine. Yeah, yeah. Quarter past nine. Thanks for that the little disclaimer there, RJ. Um, yeah. Um, I hate that I'm the serious one this week. I don't normally like doing this. Like I like I'm normally the I'm only the jokey one in the background that comes with this with the sassy comments, but no, I've got to be the serious one this week. <sighs> I don't pull punches when it comes to the media environment that motorsport is in these days. Um I take a lot of pride in this platform and you know the avenue of being able to speak out about things that most people in motorsport don't speak out about we take a lot of pride in that on this show and today's one of those moments again i've got to be that guy what guy that guy and i'm not gonna name names here but you will if you're listening to this show and you're a frequent listener of this show and you're keyed in on motorsport media you'll know exactly who i'm talking about here 
They are a prolific brand on YouTube. They are, quote-unquote, the new media in, in the F1 journalism space on YouTube. They've had an extreme amounts of growth and their first letter basically begins with the 22nd letter of the alphabet i'll let you work out the rest from there but they had their lead presenter get a chance to spend time with nico rosberg today the same nico rosberg who said lead presenter called a women's genitalia last year for retiring out of the sport early as opposed to the ridiculously Toxic and the attitude of a sportsman thinking that you, you have to defend your title, like some sort of obligation, which we addressed on this show last year. Now, if anyone wants to chip in on this, by the way, feel free. Uh, yeah. Feel free to cut me at any point. Don't, don't well, feel yeah, like, like just the just the uh, you know, like Cliff Notes version of what we said last year about Nico Rosberg not coming back. Uh, it was you know his complete decision, and he's not the first world champion not to defend his title in formula one indeed um he won't you know, he wasn't the first he may not be the last for all we know but we pretty much saluted him for his effort and you know if anything with, with nico rosberg i think now this season we've sat down and i think we've uh, got a much more of a greater sense of appreciation for just how good he was sorry about that val um <laughs> Given you know how good Nico has been, like how good Nico was in comparison to Lewis, I think we've all sat down and smelt the coffee and realised, oh wait, Nico was a lot better than we gave him credit for. But people, if you're in the media space, like if you're going to come out with edgy takes about certain F1 drivers, like be prepared to own what you say, uh, and like using a woman's genitalia to describe a man as being weak because they were selfless enough to put the you know, the the influence of his family and the urge to be a, as good a father as possible um and basically you know move on to the next chapter of his life earlier than you want him to if you're the sort of person that's using the p word like that to describe somebody who did something like that I'm going to find you incredibly narrow-minded, selfish, and toxic as a fan of your of your sport if you're doing that. And like I've said this before, and I've said it again, like there is nothing cowardly about raising a family just because you didn't get your kicks because Nico Rosberg didn't defend a title, or that you're you know you you may you might have been mad that Lewis Hamilton didn't get the right of reply on this one because Nico didn't give you that satisfying ending you wanted that's not how sport works okay and again you're just using such vulgar language to describe someone as a coward like that like using basically using women to make men look weak that's fucking pathetic quite frankly and you gotta do like do better than this like motorsport media needs to do better on this and the person in question knows exactly who they are and the people that are listening to this show know exactly who said person is and he's had a knack quite frankly of saying stupid things and and you know having you know hot takes regarding formula one drivers that would make skip bayless blush or you know basically making toxic comments about f1 drivers left right and center but hey he's now got you know Again, this is the same guy that was the yeah, as it was Charles pointed out in the Discord chat. The same guy that basically sympathised for a racist in PewDiePie earlier this year. 
and was like, oh, you know, this is this is way overblown. Uh, no, no, it wasn't. He dropped an N bomb live on stream. But you're like, oh, this is far too. This is, this is way too much in a YouTube space where you can do pretty much anything these days, and people will forget about you. But it's one of those things. It's we've got to do better than this, and. You've got to own what you say these times, and you know if you're you're now in the blessed position of privilege where you can now interview almost everybody under the sun. The guy's got, you know, he's living the dream for so many people, so many aspiring people that I know on Twitter, on Facebook, in the motorsport media space who are young, you know, who are gifted people. I I know a good half dozen that I talk to on on a daily basis, and they're brilliant at what they do. And they're not dickheads, quite frankly. So, don't do it. Don't, like, if you're, like, I don't know how you can sleep at night when you're calling Nico Rosberg those sort of names and you got to speak to the man face-to-face afterwards. I wouldn't be able to do that, quite frankly. And, hey, maybe said person, you know, could sleep at night a little easier than I can. But don't be a dick over things like that. And like I said, I know I sound like I'm being vague here, but I, I suspect that a, a good amount of people that are listening to this show, you know, know exactly who I'm talking about. And I can relate to this. I've been in this position before where I have said things that, you know, weren't a particularly good idea and I've had to take my licks for it. I have. Like, everybody knows about what happened with me and TMF Marduk earlier this year. and Which he was know, also, which said person was also involved in. Yeah. Set that said person basically, and pardon my French, called me a cunt without even mentioning my name in that conversation, and said, "quote unquote, I will never get anywhere in life with that sort of attitude." Um, this was again pretty recently after he just got in his WTF one gig. Um, oh, I wonder who it was, but um, yeah, this is the sort of person that we're dealing with, and you know, I don't wish him any ill will. You know, he's in a very fortunate position and more power to him. I've, I've, I've always said he is a phenomenal talent and he had ridiculous potential from the start. But you've got to own what you say. And if you don't, pe- the internet's got receipts. I saw a good dozen people on Twitter during this happen point out the fact that, yeah, he's he said some awful things about some F1 drivers before and now he's in a position of privilege where he can interview these guys and basically tried to look like a tosser. I mean, the the original plan was basically doing friggin' mean tweets with Nico Rosberg, which, hey, if you're Nico Rosberg, you've probably already had your fair share of this over the years. I mean, people call him Nico Nazi. Nico can one. take it on the chin. He's Nico, a better man than he, me. He has a great... He has a... He, 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 he'll be fine with this. Now, that doesn't need, that mean that, you know, I'm necessarily okay with it. And I know a lot of people are not. We're not okay with this. No. And I want to make a point as well. Because, because, because when I first got into um, reading the contents of WTF1.co.uk, um, they were advertised as the alternative Formula One blog. They were the alternative. They were here to make sure that Formula One was never boring. But when you do stuff like this, it does not make you the alternative. Because applying to it just... Appealing to the lowest common denominator is not necessarily alternative. It's cookie it, it cutter. Actually, it's cookie yeah, cutter. It's, it's cookie if, cutter. If anything, it's, if anything, it's really fucking mainstream these days. It's very common, especially in the media age that we live in. I'm not saying you can't be clickbaity, especially in today's uh, 
news media outlets. That's the game these days. Yeah. I'm not saying that you can't be that. I'm not saying that you can't be snarky on occasion, because I get that. I've been snarky before. We all have. Yeah, pretty much. Um, But, you know, with time and retrospect, with, with, you know, time and if things change, you know, I I get it. Um, But it's it, I take a lot of pride in being part of the alternative and the fact that through what we do here uh as a podcast where we where we do we have we are independent uh motorsport media creators every single one of us a lot of us in our extended pre- circles as well hell i have a really i have a really great gig where i work for one of the few uh large independent online motorsport magazines that's not owned by the same damn company Fancy that, <laughs> but yeah, I, I would say one thing: you could be, you could do mean tweets, you could be funny, but you could still put out serious journalism. Because all people always quote that you know WTF one is the BuzzFeed of F one without realizing, yes, all the clickbaity stuff and humor related stuff that BuzzFeed does, they still do serious journalism. Uh, the Russia Trump dossier that was BuzzFeed. Uh, the sexual assault allegations against Kevin Spacey. That was BuzzFeed. Like, BuzzFeed does serious journalism alongside their clickbaity, humorous content. You mean they do stuff other than trying out for a McDonald's all day? Yes. Yes. Good to know. Because <laughs> something's got to pay for the serious stuff. And the fact that they do that so they could do the serious stuff, the clickbait is not the end game. Like a, lo- a lot of a lot of the uh, I'll take another um, another notable example. SB Nation is another site that puts out a lot of humorous and a lot of offbeat content, and they also do um, some very serious stuff as well. Admittedly, some of it not executed the greatness, but you know, th- for through the for the most part, they do a pretty damn good job of what they do. Indeed, and you know said person you know just has just tweeted a cover saying this was in 2016 before i knew i'd ever get the chance of meeting such people how do you want me to react for f's sake much my response is well maybe you just shouldn't say mean things about racing drivers like that in the first place like that that might be a very easy solution because that that that, that implies you just say mean things about all the people that you never meet yeah because I know people do that in life, but hey, I've been in many a situation where I've had to face that head on. Uh, and... You know, you know, my mother. I used to, I used to just groan and complain whenever my mother used to say, "Don't post things on social media that you regret." Looking at it now, that's that's brilliant advice. Like I yeah. wish people's parents would step in and give their kids advice to just think before they open their mouth on whatever social media platform that they want to use. Or at least set up a private account. Set up that locked account, that AD account, yeah. sure. that burner account. Absolutely. Do Don't what be you got to do. On main. Yeah, that, that, that's what it is, man. Like, be smarter about this. Like, you know what's like. I I know I'm more direct of it than than some other people are, but like, you've got to be prepared to own what you say. And when it happened with me with Ben. When I pissed off Fran, who, you know, is one of MotoGP's prominent editors. Yeah, that was me last year. Um, earlier this year. Like, I I am not... Like, I, I, people are going to say, well, Drake, you're a hypocrite because you did this about Ben. Listen, 
I've I have fucked up too with those mistakes. That, that, that makes it all the more important that you've got to speak out about things like this because I've been there. I've had to face those bitchy comments head on, and it makes you feel like shit. Quite frankly, I've been there. I've done it. I had to walk back what I said about Ben, about people I had genuine respect for, and it's one of the biggest regrets I've had since since I've been in the motorsport space. And that's something I'm going to have to own and take with me for the rest of my time on here. But don't like let my example be proof that it can happen to anybody, and that you should basically just be a bit better about this because you never know what's going to happen. Like you're in a space where you aspire to be a Simon Lazenby, a Damon Hill, you know, a Steve Jones who's on TV presenting F1. People will dig out your old shit. If we we see it with presidents, with people in sports, fellow journalists. Remember when Cam Newton got done the other day when Cam Newton made those silly comments to that female press officer? And then the, the, pre- the the only thing you ever have to mention is the subreddit Trump criticizes Trump, where pretty much people yeah. dig up old tweets about Donald Trump cri- criticizing things that past presidents have done that he's doing right now. Yeah, people will find it. People will find it. And you just got to be better than this. And, like, seriously, don't call anyone who retires from their sport in their prime, at their peak of their powers, any sort of female derogatory insult to make him look weak because, God forbid, the guy wants to put his family first over his racing career where he risks his life every single time he gets in a racing seat. You immature human being. Do better. And I'm sure, and I'm sure, and I'm sure that if you're listening to us, you know, on the off chance that you may be listening to us, that maybe this will all make sense, you know, when you're, when I, when you're fortunate enough to be in a relationship and get to the point where you want to raise a child and you realize that you're devoting a lot more time to your children than you are to your passionate craft. And maybe you'll get to a point in life where you realize that maybe that's the most important thing in life and not just you know, trying to conquer the world um, one race at a time. Matthew? Do better. Let's get into the news. I would love to open this segment in a brighter mood, but Lewis Hamilton opened his goddamn mouth again. Oh, is it time for the Abu Dhabi preview? It's time for the Abu Dhabi preview, RJ. Yay! It's over. <laughs> it's, al- it's almost over. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Um, so, Lewis Hamilton um, made made uh, some some interviews to the press uh, very recently. Um, he made the point that he uh, he made the point that he would that the that the current cars have trouble overtaking. That's actually that's actually a pretty damn valid point. Yeah. You know, we're not yeah. going to knock Lewis Hamilton for for speaking about out about racing itself. You know, I'm sure Lewis sure, Hamilton sure. has some. Yeah, it's a, it's a very valid opinion. One that myself and a lot of other people in the sport uh would pretty much agree with that's not the trouble we're having with lewis hamilton uh speaking of the press this week (sighs) why did he open his fat gob about baku again king please help me out here uh like i tweeted about it i just said he's trying to deflect from the paradise favors (laughs) 
Like, you, you, you turned the dial straight up to 11 on this one, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just straight like, you're just trying to deflect from the fact that people don't like that you've been avoiding to pay your taxes, which, like, it really seems like that what he's trying to do. Because there's no, there's no reason to bring it up, because he's already clinched a championship, there's no way Splash can catch him. Yeah. I mean, here's the full quote. I mean, in an exclusive interview with Motorsport TV's The Flying Lap, Hamilton explained what he said to Vettel in private following the incident. Now see, I haven't even mentioned the quote yet, and I see an immediate problem with that sentence. You leaked to the press what was in a private conversation. Again, you do that, you run the risk of being called out on your shit. Again, been there, done it, got the t-shirt. The quote was, when I spoke to him later, I was like, that's a sign of disrespect, so don't ever disrespect me like that again, otherwise then we will have problems, said Hamilton. I've never done that to someone, I don't even know what he was thinking to have done, I've never been in a position like that. I guess people react differently under certain pressures. Hamilton revealed that his quiet reaction to the incident at the time was caused by a desire not to cause a negative swirl. Quote, I think there's different ways in which you can handle things, said Hamilton. I knew that I was going to do and I wasn't going to let anything distract me from doing that. Quote, I wasn't going to let myself say something or react in a way that's going to cause some negative swirl which is going to steer me off course from my ultimate goal. And naturally, of the experience, you learn to just compartmentalize all those different things. May I remind you, people, that right that this was the man who basically said, "Think of the children," are yeah. in the immediate aftermath of that Sebastian Vettel incident. You know, you didn't want to cause a negative swell, right? But Ben, be basically called Sebastian Vettel a bad role model to kids in the immediate aftermath of the race. As if he gives a fuck about the kids when a helmet's on. I mean, Lewis, 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 for the love of God, grow up, please. Like, if you, the moment you leak parts of a prime, I remember, the, I remember this king, right? Yep. Sebastian called him up in private after the race itself and apologized for what he did. Vettel owned it. He 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 was able to humble himself to the point where he gave Lewis a call in private and said sorry. And then Lewis is out fucking threatening the man. Wait, wait, wait. If I recall correctly, didn't Lewis say that wouldn't have been possible because I don't even think he has my phone number? So he went out of his way to get Lewis's phone number and then actually actually called him up and apologized directly. That's the sort of guy that Sebastian is here. And Lewis basically responds with a threat. Don't ever be disrespectful to me again otherwise we're going to have problems. Again, a guy that he or, he had already thrown under the bus in Baku itself with the press when he said that Val was a bad role model for the kids. I I I despair with Lewis. Like, I trust me, King. We've been on this show for a long time. I used to be the guy that was just defending Lewis for these sorts of comments, right? But then after a while, it's like you, you've got to stop giving him the benefit of the doubt, and you realise he's just being stupid here. Like, didn't he call out... Again, Zoe pointed out as well. He called out Charlie White in that day as well, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Like, that's wrong and you know it, Charlie. When Seb got given a 10 seconds... The maximum penalty on track available. A 10-second stop-and-go penalty. Which was about 30 seconds of net time lost. It cost Seb an easy victory and 12 points. Like, 
What more do you want him to do? Disqualify him, because that's the only thing he could have done that was would have been worse. <laughs> Lifetime ban. <laughs> Lifetime ban. How dare he? And... Oh, I just... You know what this sounds like? It sounds like if you're ever at like a professional work setting and you have a you have an employee that's just been, you know, just committing so 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 many microtransactions against you, just doing so much shit that gets on your nerves, but you don't tell like like a team lead or a manager about it. You you just let it fester until one day it just starts escalating to bigger problems. You don't want to do that. That's the thing they tell you not to do. Granted, social anxiety kind of makes this a problem, but that's still the thing they teach you not to do. Right. I just... I, I don't get this, man. So, like, like uh, part of me is like, he's being clearly naive about this, but this just keeps happening with Lewis. It's like he, he finds a way to put a foot in his mouth harder than a Baron Corbin promo. It's just... Every time this comes up, it's like he has to find some way of making himself sound worse than what he actually is trying to come across as. Yeah, like, like, l- like, literally, like, the reason why I said this is meant to deflect from the Paradise Papers, because that's the only, that's the best case scenario, the, the only reason to, an- like, answer any question in that fashion. Like, serious question, like, what do you gain from leaking the details of a private conversation like that? Exactly! Like, like, what do you set to gain from this? Like, how does this make you better? Like, and I got criticized when I kind of called him out for this on Twitter early, like last week, right? Because like, oh, Dre, you're biased. I'm playing play devil's advocate. Like, you're biased towards the German. And I'm like, I called him out for this three weeks ago when he called Nico Rosberg a coward for not coming back to defend this title. Funny that. It's just, it's like the lead ambassador for this sport could be just as immature as the people that cover it. Who knew? But... Uh, I don't know what more to say when it comes to Lewis. Like, he is the worst interview in Formula 1, and that takes some doing, because he, he he constantly finds ways to make himself sound stupid. Like, Zoe's pointed out in our chat as well, I mentioned in Monaco 2007, and that was, an, that was another classic example where Lewis Hamilton bitched and moaned so much that it led to McLaren in being investigated for team orders, wasn't it? I think that was the story? That's yeah. how it goes? Yeah, it did. Like... And it, of course, the British media, like they they jumped on that like a red rag to a bull, blew it up to the point where the FI had to had to wrongly investigate McLaren for their role in this. <laughs> like this, this is peak Lewis Hamilton. So of course, people are going to immediately take take Lewis's side on this one. And I'm like, people, if somebody leaked details that you'd given to another person in a private conversation, you'd be pissed. Why does Lewis Hamilton get a free pass because what Vettel did was stupid? Like, he doesn't. It's it's just as bad, quite frankly, where it's like you're trying to make the other guy look worse than he already is. Like, Lewis, you've won the title. It's over. He's not gonna get you, mate. I know you had I know you didn't have the best race in Brazil, but it's over. <laughs> you're going to win the championship. Fairly comfortably in the end, actually. Like, the threat of Ferrari went away about three rounds ago. Yeah. But, you know, 
He had to go rub it in, rub a little bit of salt in the wound one more time, just like he did with Nico Rosberg in 2014 when he won the title that year, and then you accused him on Sky after winning that title of hitting him in Belgium on purpose. Don't think I ain't forgotten, because um, because like the internet, I've got receipts. <laughs> or that time that he mentioned that he wouldn't do what Nico Rosberg did, almost seemingly as a jab at Nico Rosberg. <sighs> Yeah, because he's never thrown jabs at Nico Rosberg. I mean, wasn't it last week he said that, that Alonso was the only teammate he's ever learned anything from? Yeah, despite just, the fact it was. Just to bring know. bring this back full circle, who really is the best role model out here in Formula One after what we just discussed? Daniel Ricciardo <laughs> for flipping off a billboard of Trump and calling him the C U N T word. My hero, <laughs> but. Again, like Nico Rosberg is a better man than me. Like seriously, like as, as more and more comes out, it's like he really did shit on Rosberg from a great height. Like he said the other day, right? Alonso was the only teammate I ever learned from, even though it's public knowledge that Hamilton copied Rosberg's setup in Japan that same year in 2016, and started to copy Rosberg's gloves because he had a better handle on the manual start procedure compared to when Lewis did it in 2015. So, he has learned off Rosberg because he started frigging copying him. Like, why can't Lewis just admit that Nico got in his head in 2016? It's obvious. Like, it's like they got in each other's heads and Nico Rosberg clearly came off the better in that mental battle. Like, I think that's beyond obvious at this point. Like, why is it that, that Lewis Hamilton's got such an enormous ego that, like, he thinks he's practically... Like... Has Lewis Hamilton ever owned this responsibility for anything outside of that Brazil crash this year? Uh, you'd have to go, like, way back. Like, it had to be, like, within his, like, first three seasons. Like a corporation Hamilton, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, just... Lewis, do better. Seriously, do better. Like, we've got receipts. Like, Nobody believes... You are the best driver in the world. Like, all of us here would, would say that, like, yeah. without a doubt. You are the best guy. Hands down in the world right now please be better we we want to like you that's what it is like people think i hate lewis hamilton i've spent like over 200 pounds on some of his merch you think i don't like him like i want to like him really i do but he puts a shotgun in his mouth every time he opens his mouth and starts talking do better lewis it wouldn't take much and pay your goddamn taxes while you're at it for god's sake Right, next. I've vented enough. Oh, God, another vent. Danica. RJ, talk nah, to nah, me nah, about nah, Danica. No, let's, let's push that back. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Should we mention NASCAR first, then? Yes. Because it was kind of a big NASCAR weekend, yes. wasn't it? it was, Boys, yeah, take it, it away. Was the last, because it was the last weekend of the season. Um, we, had the, we had the championship finale weekend. We had Christopher Bell winning the trucks title. William Byron winning the the Xfinity Series title. William Byron is such a perfect clean cut driver. He is going to be insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> he's far too good for it. He's giving racing drivers a bad name. <sighs> yes, he's he's perfect. He's clean cut. He's well spoken. He's talented as all hell. 
People are gonna hate him. Yeah. And he's driving the 24, so that's like instant, like, ooh, people already don't, people already don't like you, now you're gonna be in the 24, people are not gonna like you And anymore. he's already a spokesperson for Liberty University. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did, did you say Liberty University? Yes, that li Liberty <sighs> University of Falwell family fame. The, the one, one that, that gave him the one... his, college, his college education and is going to be sponsoring his cup series wide. God, I hate this. D isn't that the uni that Glenn Beck graduated from? <laughs> hey, hey. Oh, what, one thing I gotta say. God. One thing I gotta say. You can't pick your classmates. Because, like... <laughs> <laughs> I know, one of them gave you a cold. Oh, my God. <laughs> Damn him! Okay, take that, Adam Schefter. Um, and of course, we had the big one, the the 400-mile race at Miami. It was a pretty big deal. Um, we had Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, and Brad Keselowski all battling for the championship. And what? A, first of all, what a great story it was to see Martin Truex win. Because in this day yes. and age where you feel like, you know, the playoffs are just going to make everything a toss-up, Martin Truex Jr. was the best driver over the entire 36 race season. From pillar yeah. to post. Yeah, one more races than anybody else. Would have been regular season champions. He was the points leader going into the playoffs. And you think about how far he's come within the last four years. Because back mm -hmm. in 2013, he was, um, he was caught up through no fault of his own in the infamous Spingate scandal, which eventually cost him a sponsor and forced him to look for other employment. Other employments such as Furniture Row Racing, which at the time were, they were a solid midfield team at their absolute best, based far away from North Carolina with no technical alliances to speak of whatsoever. And then they get hooked up with Toyota and all of a sudden, oh golly, things start really taking off and Martin Truitz Jr. has equipment that actually matches his talent. I would have yeah. said in 2016 that he should have been the champion, but he, he had the misfortune of having an engine let go on an elimination race in the playoffs, which knocked him out of contention yeah. before he even got to the final four. Because playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> because playoffs. But yeah, by, by any measure, it's been a long time coming for Truex. And it's a great story as well, given that, that he's basically based like far and away from what we consider NASCAR country. And it's... Crew Chief's Canadian as well, which, is, which makes it all the crazier. It's like, so, Jesus. yeah. And that, team's, and that team has been through a lot. Martin Truex's girlfriend, Sherry Pollock, has been battling cancer for the better part of three years now. Jesus. Um, the team owner, Barney Visser of Furniture Row, actually had a heart attack and couldn't be there to watch his team win its first championship. Yeah, we talked about that after the show last week. And, and the news had broken through like mere minutes after we finished recording last week's show. Um, the timing on that one was awful. But uh, yeah, that was a thing. And and he beat Kyle Busch straight up in a match race in the final laps of the season to, to win the title and the, on the final weekend, as it should have come down to. Yeah, NASCAR basically got its fairy tale ending, which is nice. NASCAR could be great when it. NASCAR could be great. Why can't it be this good all the time? Because it's right now. It feels like it's great in spite of NASCAR. Yeah, that's like that. That's that's what it feels like. It's like you still have these moments shining through, but I know people are still dumping on the series because, well, 
NASCAR, basically. But congratulations to Martin Truex Jr. Um, I must I openly admit I was kind of cheering for Brad purely because of Penske Games Fair. Um, <laughs> I was kind of rooting for Brad a little bit there, but um, no, delighted for Martin Truex. I know he's been fantastic all year. He's been the most deserving. Uh, I don't normally like using that term, but by any measure, Truex should have left this season as champion. He might have, he probably should have won last year as well, but you know these things happen. But delighted for Truex Jr. Congratulations to him and his team. Phenomenal stuff, and you know a, a little bit of an end of an era moment as well because this, of course, was the final race for Dale Dale Jr. and Matt Kenseth, who will be hanging it up uh, at the end of the season, which is now. So Dale Jr. and Matt Kenseth ride off into the sunset. And wasn't it nice, RJ, that we got both of their crew chiefs and teams together for one last photo? Before oh, the weekend starts, yes, and yes, and in the and uh, in, in the uh, gosh, in their old uh, in their old throwback cars, um, Dale Junior's last ride was painted up like his very first ride, the Budweiser Chevrolet, with uh, mm-hmm. at Zelta instead of Budweiser. Uh, Matt Kenseth had pretty much his old uh, two thousand circa two thousand Dewalt Power Tools ride, and you just think like, wow, yo, after these two have stepped down from the sport, the two most tenured full time drivers left are going to be Kurt Busch and Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick, who was just in the championship four. I feel old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, still, like... I still remember watching Kevin Harvick's first race. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. When, talk about, when, talk about when was somebody... that? That was in, fe- that was in February, to- February 25th, two- 19- 2001. Yeah. Jesus. Kevin Harvick had the hardest role to fill ever. And that was replacing the late Dale Earnhardt Sr. on short notice. Yeah, the week after he died. Have fun with that. <laughs> um, as Jesus. It turns, as it turns out, it worked out all right. Back to Dale Earnhardt Jr., though. We've talked about it at points throughout the season. You know, mm-hmm. I, I made the point on Twitter that, you know, there are two drivers that immediately come to mind where I think they should have won championships. Mark Martin was one. Mark Martin should have won several titles and just for reasons unknown just couldn't couldn't get there and dale earnhardt jr is another one you know i think we got to a point where you know dale mania was oversaturated at one point i think we kind of got an alien at it but now that he's kind of stepped away and i can admit to this as well god i didn't appreciate dale earnhardt jr enough and this is coming from a driver who was like a 15 time consecutive most popular driver of the year (laughs) like he was a shoe in to win popular driver of the year I mean don't we do that with motorsport guys all the time I've said it but I've said it many a time watching in Formula One watching the two at the front go to war but we we're gonna miss Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel a shit ton when they hang this up because they could tell they are so much better than everybody else in F1 right now it's not uh, even but I think with Dale it's more or less we like it's in agreement everyone thinks he's a great driver it's lessening in the fact that we don't realize how much of a cultural icon that Dale Jr. is. Yeah, and, like and he... the entire Earnhardt family, for that matter, yeah. immediately had to pick up the mantle that his father left off. He was the last of that really tribalistic, um, very roughneck kind of uh, driver that was still left. Yeah. And we all yeah. also have to note, you don't really get a lot of racing drivers and music videos anymore. <laughs> You really don't. You don't get them wearing backwards ball caps. 
I mean, yeah, like you said, cult- I think cultural icon sums it up best. He's he, he, again a, a transcendent person in motorsport, a guy that was able to cross over into popular culture and universally pretty well loved by all. Yeah, and, you like know. this this guy was in music videos for Jay Z and Sheryl Crow. Like just 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 yeah. like get wrap your head around that. Both sides of the cultural spectrum. <laughs> that is hashtag two Americas right there. Um, and Nickelback too, according to Zoe in the chat. Okay. See, that is, that's two countries. <laughs> that's two countries. Yeah, that, is, that is definitely hashtag two Americas right there. Um, <laughs> Jay-Z and Nickelback. Say no more, people. Say no more. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like Dale Jr., it's been fun. Same for you, Matt Kenseth. Great drivers. Um, and yeah, just good dudes as well. And, and they'll be missed. Sadly uh, for Danica, her seemingly penultimate NASCAR race didn't go too well. Sadly, the metaphorical fire was replaced with literal fire, unfortunately. But she generated headlines in another way, RJ. Yeah, she did, because before the weekend, was we were all getting ready to talk about Dale's last ride potentially Matt Kenseth's last ride. Danica Patrick announced that 2018 will be her last season as a professional race driver. As of 2017, she is done racing full-time, and in 2018, she will focus on her efforts on just two races and two races only. The Daytona 500, which, is, which she started from pole position in her, in her rookie season of 2013, and the Indianapolis 500, which she nearly won in her rookie effort in 2005. Yep. Now, this is kind of a funny one, right? Because she's announced she's going to be there for next year's 500. No one has actually said who she'll be driving for yet. And if anything, more teams have come out to deny this <laughs> than have actually said, yeah, Uh-oh. we're taking her on next well, year. Well, Chip Ganassi, like, he has admitted that there is discussions. So, Yeah, let's walk it back here. We started with the two most logical places, her former employers, Andretti Autosport and Ray Hall Letterman Racing. Um, both of them said, no, she's not in our plans. Uh, then they asked Roger Penske, and Penske said, no, Danica Patrick is not in our plans. I don't know why anyone would ask, <laughs> considering, you know, Penske's already pretty booked. Uh, yeah. But, th- but Chip Ganassi, Chip Ganassi just divested a couple of teams here, um, and they were very competitive at last year's Indy 500. Um Call me crazy for saying this, but I think Danica Patrick has a competitive chance. Look at some of the names that we saw running up at the front of last year's race. You mean to tell me that GT3 driver James Davison can get plugged into a Sebastian Bourdais run car and run near the front? Yeah, because I think it, like, in in Ganassi, in probably at the Honda is the best power unit to have at Indianapolis. And I could admit Danica has very strong chance. She's going to be super competitive. Yep, very, very true indeed. I mean, again, I, I, have, I have to give some credit to a friend of the show, Luke Smith, who had the hilarious tweet of, Alonzo, I'm the biggest surprise entry to the Indy 500. Danica, hold my nature's bakery snack bar. Oh my god. <laughs> Nature's Bakery is not coming back as a sponsor. Yeah, Na- Nature's Bakery is probably the reason why 2018 is Danica's last season as a professional driver. 
Yeah, because let's be honest, her NASCAR results have not been the best. Oh, no, no. It's more of a fact like Nature's Bakery saying we're going to pay you money to be your sponsor and then not paying her money. Oh, that doesn't doesn't, doesn't help. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, so she's ending over there. Yeah, she's probably going to be great because, again, she she was a very good IndyCar driver when she was over there. She's been here before. And, again... Like, we've mentioned some of the names that you wouldn't expect to be good turn out to be great. I mean, we haven't even mentioned my man Flatcap last year, or the year before. My man Townsend Bell, who was running up the front for, like, the entire first half of the race until he drove into his damn teammate. I burned my Flatcap in, in disgrace. I, I, I was I was not happy about that. No, but... Samoa Joe just picked it up and wore it in the crowd to take over. <laughs> I... I'm very proud that you know, we, we that my cat found a new owner in the end, uh, and by someone that could kill me in an instant. Um, yeah. But yeah, Danica's back, yo. Let Danica Mania run wild one more time. It should be fun. Yeah, it'll it'll be fun. It'll be interesting to see how she gets along with the with a new generation of cars. That again, she's never driven in anger. But I do want to make this point in her sit in her seven starts at Indy. It's time she's finished in the top ten. Yeah, pretty solid indeed. Pretty solid. Should we say with some indie carnies for a bit, fellas? Oh, yes. I think we shall, because uh, AJ Foyt has now completed their driver lineup. They announced, they made the announcement, I think, on Friday that uh, Tony Kanaan's got a partner, and he's another Brazilian. Yes. Tell us more. <laughs> well, yes, uh, AJ Foyt Enterprises, they'll be running uh, Mateus Leist, or as... As AJ Foy likes to call him, Matt Weist. <laughs> Matt! Okay, so, like, uh, you forgot to mention, he also makes fantastic MSTF1 videos on YouTube. <laughs> That's indeed. Um, so you so you can uh, send in your continued congratulations to uh, Mateus for getting the ride at Skelling Tour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let him, let him know that RJ sent you, uh, quite frankly. But uh, this is also you know, the, the kind of crazy thing about this is now is it it means that like AJ Foyt has now cleared the decks for his driver lineup two years in a row for the third time in as many years we went from Sato to Sato and Hawksworth in 2016 we went from Munoz and Daly in 2017 and now to Kanan and Laced in 2018 and here's the thing now you have Tony Kanan who's pretty much a proven commodity a proven commodity who might be a bit on the downside, but you know, even at forty-three years old, Tony Kanan is going to get you some results. In theory, yeah. I in mean, theory. he's a he's a perennial top ten guy in the championship. Still, even at his age, he still is excellent and will, will still get you good results. And I mean, I'm gutted because I remember we went back to the season review earlier this year, and we were so excited for AJ yeah, Foyt's team. We of, were. We were, because this is like, this is the perfect long-term yeah. building project. You get them over to Chevy. You get two young drivers with potential. And now we're kind of cleaning the decks again. Yeah, like I said in the season preview, I was bowtie or die. And I really thought it was going to be just bowtie, but it ended up being the die portion. Ugh. Like, I think Foyt's got a bit of a problem where it's like, it's never the car, it's always the drivers. Yeah, like I have a quote from Supertex, he says, I think the combination of an experienced driver like Tony and a hungry young driver like Matt will work. I watched him in the Indy Lights this year and he won the Freedom the Freedom 100. 
I know he's got a lot to learn, but I think he's going to learn very quick, and I think he'll be very good in IndyCars. Uh, and then, you know, Sun, Larry, the team present, we've had to make some tough, tough decisions, but with them, we want to focus on strengthening the program overall, and we, we are positioning ourselves to be contenders next season. And... Night. Wait, 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 wait. If you want to be a contender, why did you just hire a rookie? Like, exactly. Like, it. You gotta teach mm. these kids how to use their quality tools. Like, <laughs> I, I don't think they know that they can improve in the short term just by switching out drivers. It's like, if you wanted to improve the project overall, why not just, you know, keep the really good pair of talented young drivers you had in Daly and Munoz? who were both capable of, you know, many a top 10 last season. Like, I'm not saying that Hawksworth was amazing or anything, or that, you know, that Sato wasn't great, but they, like, Sato in particular was able to pull some good results out of his ass on occasions. So, I don't understand why they are so insistent on continually clearing... I mean, how long... Like, you, you, you think you're going to be an immediate contender, so okay, you get Tony Kanaan, that makes sense. If, if But... What makes you think you're going to come up from being arguably the worst full-time team in IndyCar last year to suddenly being the best? Like, and then you hire a rookie. Like, Foyt, what are you doing? Like, in fairness, in fairness, like, Mateus Lace is no scrub. No, Mateus I'm not saying Lace he is. Was, yeah, Mateus Lace uh, drove drove his heart out at Indy, and that was his the very first time he'd ever gotten on an oval. It's going to be a learning year. And Larry Foyt, because because AJ Foyt is mostly a figurehead, Larry runs the team now. Uh, Larry's Larry's got to stick with this, and he's probably also got to make plans for the fact that you know Tony Kanaan is not going to be a long term driver. He's going to be there <coughs> to help get your team back off the ground. He's forty three years old for Frick's sake. Like, do you know well, how old he is? He's two hundred and six. <laughs> No, that's no, that's that's Buddy was here. I, I'm, I apologize. Uh, don't you be dissing my boy Buddy, who bowls in 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 IndyCar title sequences. Oh my goodness! <laughs> welcome to the, welcome to Motorsport 101, David Land. <laughs> we love you, David. We love you <laughs> and your content. Yeah, you're great, David. So subscribe to David Land. Um, but uh, yes, interesting, interesting pair of hires. Um, I'm not convinced that this is going to be the breakout year for Foyt that he's been so desperate for in recent times. But hey, it'll be fun to watch him try. And, and again, Mateus is a is a great driver. He's a, he's a great talent. Great to see him in in, in the, the series proper as a full timer. Um, it, it's nice seeing um, that. Uh, it's nice seeing that you know younger talent come through. I think we are seeing that the next generation of IndyCar shine through now more more than ever with. The likes of obviously New Garden and Rossi right at the top, and it works its way down now with, you know, with guys like Latias Leist in there as well. Ed Jones again was phenomenal last year as a rookie. Um, just don't know what sport tell you that. Um, and it goes on, so you know, good to see how this one turns out. Okay, fellas, we we didn't even talk about this last week, but well, barely. But uh, but this this was a quite a crazy weekend because uh, we had Macau. <sighs> It's the Futures All-Star Game. It is a big one. Yes, and for some reason, Nelson Piquet really wants to race there because when you think of the future of motorsport, you think Nelson Piquet. Uh, (laughs) But it's it's not just a Formula 3 race, though. You have have some touring car races. um, You have some 
you've got some Dagon, uh, you've got a GT World Cup. Um, let's, uh, yeah, let's, uh, why don't we start with the uh, the million dollar pile up in the GT World Cup? Ooh, oh, legendary! Oh, up. yeah, because I haven't because uh, I haven't actually seen this yet, so I'm actually having to uh, give my clicks to the backslash drive. Um, <laughs> backslash drive. Yeah, I'm so looking you, at this. You, you right haven't now. seen the pile up. <laughs> I haven't yet. This is my this is live reactions. Oh dear! Oh, that's a mess! Oh! Oh! Golly. Oh! One car gets stuck in one of the most narrow portions of the circuit, gets turned around, blocks the whole track, and suddenly, like an accordion, everybody piles into him. Yeah, everyone. Everybody. Everyone had to hit the brakes, but there wasn't enough. There wasn't enough room to stop. The English company just goes, that is millions and millions and millions of dollars of damage. Oh, it's, Jonathan it's, 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 Green, Jonathan Green, by the way, the uh, the English language commentator for Macau, um, just a bundle of energy. <laughs> <laughs> he sold it beautifully. The only thing missing really was somebody playing the theme song for Kirby Enthusiasm in the background as it happened. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Danny Yuncadella hit the wall in his Mercedes. His co his teammate Raffaele Marcello uh, got past Lawrence Vantour. Remember, finished the race upside down, didn't get through, and folks, let the fireworks begin. <laughs> Lucas DeGrassi got caught up in it. Uh, oh goodness, it was it was it was a mess. It was a mess. Congratulations, by the way, to Eduardo Martara, who swept both the uh, the GT World Cup races, and Robin Friends finishing second in his first trip to Macau in an Audi. It's almost like Robin's really good or something. Yeah. I know. Hmm. Hmm. Thinking emoji. Thinking emoji. Hashtag driver for hire two. Um, <laughs> driver for hire two. <laughs> uh, hire harder. I think that's going to be the name of the film. Now, um, paycheck boogaloo. <laughs> Paycheck Boogaloo. That might be the name for the episode this week. <laughs> oh gosh! Mm. And um, we we then we had the the main event of the weekend, the Macau Grand Prix, the sixty fourth running of the Macau Grand Prix. Um, King. Mm. Um. Let's uh. Let's uh. Oh. <laughs> What's the best way to put this? Um, of course, Ryan King is very invested in the career of young uh, Ferdinand Habsburg. He's a uh, boy. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Um, the double eagle. Um, and Ferdinand Habsburg found himself in a position where he could win this race. And so, too, did Sergio set the camera. They were running 1-2 with the, with the, on the last lap of this dang thing. They were just going at it. This was a slipstream battle up through the first and last sectors of the track. Sete Camera was just weaving all the way across the front stretch on the run to Lisboa corner where the circuit really tightens up. Um, and Habsburg thought he had made the move and won in the race on the final corner. But no, uh, he went in too hot. He went in too hot. He went, he went in too hot. He crashed. And Sergio Sete camera crashed. <laughs> and like almost out of nowhere, 
like a Seth Rollins running down the entrance ramp with a briefcase. And in my, and in my best, uh, and in my best Marty Reed voice, <clears throat> Dan Tictum is going to win the race. Dan Dan Tictum made a four wide overtake on the lap before to get into third place thinking yeah a podium's gonna be good enough and then he swoops through and takes the win Dan Tictum basically went full Sean Bradbury from the Salt Lake City Olympic Games in 2002 in that epic speed skating race where the front three all take each other out and then Aussie's own Sean Bradbury gets like wins on a total fluke. <laughs> like, that's what I felt like watching that. I was like, oh my god, it was ridiculous. Yeah, uh, but like, it's st- yeah, like at the end of lap thirteen, Dan Tickdom was in fifth place, six seconds back. Like actually, like six point nine seconds back. So basically, seven that's... seconds back. End of the race, he won the whole damn thing. <laughs> And he of course, did it with one of the most ridiculous four wide passes. Like he could have just thrown it all away on the run up to the final lap. Yeah, like, oh my god! Like the guys that he that he had to face down: Maximilian Gunter, Lando Norris, Sergio Sete Camera, and of course Fernand Habsburg. Like this is the cream of the young driver crop. Well, for Norris, Gunter, and Camera, Habsburg, I love you, but you're you're my boy for a reason. Like. It's, it's not for that reason. It's because Habsburg is now basically an honorary New Yorker. Because only he could spectacularly fail it that badly. Like, <laughs> b- before we get to uh, the the stories around that crash, we have to get to, like, Dan Tictum. Like, we have to realize he faced, like, a year-long ban, like, two years ago. And he goes yeah. to winning Macau. Yeah, he had a, he had a road rage incident. In, in British Formula 4, which he served as punishment for. He sat out of racing for a year, and he had to be on his absolute best behavior all through 2017. His career is back on the up and up. Yeah, he got signed to the Red Bull Junior team at the start of the season. Like, he... Yeah, all of a sudden, all of a sudden um, Red Bull's uh, driver academy situation... It's looking all right when you have it centered around an 18-year-old kid from London who just won the biggest Formula 3 race on the calendar. Yeah. It's not a bad result. (laughs) (laughs) And he was instantly competitive when he stepped up into faster equipment in GP3. Like, I I, I, I like that we've just kind of realized that, hey, you know, give give him a chance to just kind of grow and learn from his mistakes because at the end of the day he's still a young kid i can remember doing stupid like hot-headed shit when i was 16 year olds too not in, not in the wheel of a racing car of course but you know young people are going to learn from experience like that and dan ticked him did and he served out his punishment um it doesn't mean that you have to necessarily turn around and like the guy you just have to give him respect for what he's had to go through um the fact that he lived that he learned from his mistakes and is well and truly turning his career around indeed it's uh it's a it's a it's a, it's a, it's a good thing it's, it's, a, it's a nice real redemption story for dan who again i said has been through a lot of silly stuff but he seems to be fighting his feet again so uh good for him and uh yeah you could you could see you could see many a clip 
um, of, of that on the interwebs. Preferably find the edited ones that are a lot yeah. more fun. I, I'm um, gonna I'm gonna break down the Habsburg interview he gave to Autosport. Go on, King. This is like therapy for you at this point. Yeah, like Ferdinand von Habsburg quote: "I was crying when I crashed because I knew I lost it. I was wiping away my th- I was wiping my tears away." I, I don't know you could think I I, I mean <laughs> but but I don't think you could say that I've lost it when you've thrown everything into winning winning at the final corner. The move was either win or crash, and for me it was crash. Ferdinand Zvonimir Maria Baltus, Keith Michael Otho, Anthel Banham, Leonard von Habsburg might be a title contender next year in Formula Three. Yeah. Uh but he'll have to do a lot of hard work to to live this one down. Though I do love, <laughs> I do love what he said later on. I was a hundred percent. I was a hundred percent not going to finish second. <laughs> <laughs> if you hate first, you're last. <laughs> he, he pulled some Ricky Bobby shit. You didn't come second. You were the first of the losers. No shit. Hell, you could hell. You could be second, third, hell, even fourth. Congratulations, Ferdinand. You're clearly an Atlanta Falcons fan. <laughs> hey now, the hey now the Georgia Dome imploded like you know, you know its former tenants earlier today. I, I may have posted this in the Discord chat as we were recording of the uh, of the uh, the uh, street side camera of the Georgia Dome implosion. And all oh, yeah. of a sudden, a bus parks up and blocks the view. <laughs> Hang on, I'm, I'm watching this clip right now as I've not seen this yet. Hang on. It's better with the commentary from the people who set up the camera that are just swearing up the storm like, Oh my god, what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, wanted, so, I wanted to like tweet that that video and just like caption it because it happened at Mercedes-Benz Stadium like this was Ferrari's 2017 season in a nutshell (laughs) but I didn't want to be that mean King I did also want to mention as well that after the race Dan Tickton did dedicate the victory um, to British motorcyclist Daniel Hegarty who Mm -hmm. lost his life in an incident riding in the Macau Grand Prix Superbike race more on that on Bike Live later this week. Yeah. Do do have to reiterate, yeah. like, why the hell do they race bikes in Macau? Yeah, just, God, like, I, I wince every time I hear about a, a bike race at Macau, but, uh, of course, on behalf of all three of us, our, our thoughts and condolences go to all of Hegarty's family and his fiancée, Lucy Draycott, as well, who, you know, just, just lost her, her man. Um, just tragic news. Again, we'll talk about it a little bit more on Bike Live this weekend, but, um, yeah, rest in peace, Daniel. Right, let's get into the WEC. And, well, we have our season finale for the World Endurance Championship this weekend, the six hours of Bahrain and, and Porsche bowed out sadly not with a victory but with a whimper um turns out uh, nick tandy is now an enemy of the state king <laughs> uh yeah it it went <laughs> I, I i've never seen anyone the last time i saw someone become the enemy of the state this quickly uh his name was will smith and it was a movie <laughs> Oh dear, like like the two Porsches collide, one from the GT class and of course the the, the at the time race leading nine one nine hybrid and uh yeah that 
kind of put Porsche in the shit, else Toyota would go on to win. Uh, some of you have heard that one before this year. <laughs> Tell us more, RJ, if you want. <sighs> yeah, it's, uh, it happened five times. It was the fifth win of the season for Toyota. Uh, the it's, uh, it's another big win for Buemi, Nakajima, and Davidson. Um, the team that has pretty much carried Toyota on their back for the last uh, six seasons, now about to go into a seventh and sort of an eighth because Toyota is coming back for 2018-19. Just announced in the post-race ceremony. Um, Yay. Yep, but Porsche did uh, Porsche did take the big ones. They took the title with, uh, with, uh, with Timo Bernhard, um, Earl Bamber, and Brendan Hartley. Excuse me. Suderia Toro Rosso driver Brendan Hartley, mm-hmm. um, they and they also picked up Lamar. It it was very interesting that you know if if Porsche does if Porsche just decides right we've lost this race for that number two car let's just not fix this car if they did that at Lamar, Brendan Hartley's career would be a lot different right now because yeah. that was a big point in him getting that ride at Toro Rosso by the way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, can we also talk about um, LMP2 and the fact that Bruno Senna, he got to channel his uncle for a bit because he had to drive the last hour. He had to drive his last stint with a power steering failure in the middle of a title race. And doggone it, he won his class in the championship with it for Rebellion Racing. Good lord, um, that takes some that takes that takes some balls right there. Well done, Bruno Senna, and well done that team there for winning the the the, the overall class title like that. Uh, and he Bruno did it in a car. He did it in a car shared with Nicholas Pras too. There's, there's a bit of irony. <laughs> Nicholas Pras wins the championship. Eat it, Twitter. <laughs> and that Movember look too, as though he says in the chat. Yes, he he was rocking a fine mustache. Very oh fine gosh. indeed. Oh my gosh, no, Nicholas Prost doesn't get a share of the driver's title because he missed a race. No! <laughs> no! So so it's so it's Bruno Senna and Julian Canal with help from Nicholas Prost. As the way it should be. I, I would I would you know, I would consider part of him part of the championship team. Yeah. I'm I'm sure they would. I'm sure they would. Congratulations to the, to those guys as well. Senna and Prost combining their forces for good. Uh, that that that's a story in itself. Oh, we got to say shout out as well. Well, you know, no, no I'm not going to give him a shout out. In fact, I'm going to <laughs> rant about this from a great height. Sam Bird has ruined marriage proposals for everybody. Like Sam Bird, after winning in his class, got down on one knee and proposed to his longtime girlfriend Holly. And thank God, thank God, she said yes. Um, <laughs> as he told Stephen Kilby of Daily Sports Car and Racer. Um, I'm glad she said yes. It would have embarrassed me after a loss. That would have sucked. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not approving of this. No, I, I, I cannot sit back. Listen, listen, guys. He's boned us all. Like, how are we ever meant to top this as a marriage proposal? We're fucked. There is no well, way. Well, number go- one, number one. The standard's not going to be that high for us. Because we're not professional racing drivers. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I, I'm a professional shitposting podcaster. I think, uh, like, my standards are going to be as high as they want to be. So just easy. Just just drop it in an end credit sequence. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that, that's equal, right? Right? <laughs> Somehow I reckon she'll disagree. Um, 
but like Sam Bird has ruined the marriage proposals for us all. Like, like, like I said on Twitter, why are we cheering this? <laughs> <laughs> Sam has ruined this for everyone. <laughs> and We're, James Collado and Alessandro Perguidi won a championship. So hey, who said Ferrari can't win any titles in 2017? Yay. Shut up, RJ. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> but uh, congratulations to Sam Bird and, and partner Holly as well. That's that's awesome. I love that Charles is put in the chat as well. That is until you parachute out of a plane to propose to Ali Raceman. <laughs> <laughs> and then get tackled by police for trespassing. <laughs> Charlie, I'm going to kill you. Run. <laughs> I know roughly where you live. <laughs> <laughs> I know roughly where you live. Oh, the drink. <laughs> Dre proposes on a live stream after winning a, a competitive race at the Nurburgring on Gran Turismo. Well, I got, <laughs> half, of, I got half of that done earlier this weekend. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Dre, I still owe you a match race. You do indeed owe me a match race. Because the, the PS Plus 3 weekend, it turns out it was European only. So I couldn't cash in on that. But that's okay. I got a year sub now. Ugh. Yeah, we will settle this on the track later this week. Prepare your loins and prepare to catch these hands, Mr. O'Connell. Oh, it's, oh, these hands will be caught and deflected, Mr. Harrison. More on that on the YouTube channel later this week. <laughs> Speaking of more WEC stuff, though, once again, uh, Motorsport's favorite Triple Crown Hunter was in attendance at Bahrain this weekend. No, Jack Villeneuve wasn't in attendance. Don't tell people that. No, Montoya wasn't there either. It was Fernando Alonso. Hey! Yay! Doing his Yay. test. Doing his, his rookie, rookie test. test. Doing his rookie test in a Toyota. Which, to be fair, he's never had to share a car with a driver before, and he's never had to drive a car with a proof over its head in anger. So it is fair that it is a rookie test. Yeah. The, the, he's the world's fastest and most naturally talented 37-year-old rookie. As you do. <laughs> but though I do have to admit to Alonso, his political prowess is improving. He's picked the most sure shot at winning Levon that there possibly is. You know, you know what he's done, King. He's look. He's, he's he's gone to the bookies. He's he's pulled out the foot. He's pulled out the football coupon. It's an international weekend, and he's marked on the card only one game. It's the France v Luxembourg game, <laughs> and he's gone for France. Good lad. Take take the one to a hundred on shot. Why the hell not, right? Oh, you know. <laughs> Which but, means uh, you, ha- you, have, uh, you have the converging powers of Fernando Alonso, professional sadness man, coming together with Toyota Gazoo Racing, professional sadness prototype squad. <laughs> because this, I, love toy- I love Toyota Gazoo Racing's efforts, and they've been competitive, and yet they've won championships before. But what are people going to remember Toyota for in the long run? Unless they win the tight, unless they win the whole damn thing, they're going to be remembered as the team that had every opportunity to win Lamar and never did. Yeah, and it's not <laughs> even a guarantee. Even with yes, I know they're going to be the only manufacturer LMP1 team on the grid this year. That don't mean nothing. Yeah, my Russian boys could win it. Go Rebellion Racing. <laughs> my favorite car in Forza Six. <laughs> let's go, let's go, Manor. <laughs> let's go, Manor. Real Manor. 
the, the, original, manor. the original manor and best manor. Yeah, not, not new manor that got their entry fee returned today. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Hashtag God. Team Mother Russia SPM says Zoe in the chat. <laughs> no, that that Delara LMP1 car, by the way, mm, that's so nice. Yeah, that, that, that's that's the the best. LMP1 privateer car that Russian financial backing can acquire. It's lit. With money or may, money that may or may not actually be there. As you do. But yeah, um, but piloting that car will be, uh, I believe, Sergei Sorotkin and Vitaly Petrov. And Mikhail Loloshin is in it. Noted LMP1 privateer guy. Mikhail Loloshin. It is all our abandoned Russian boys, except for, you know, Daniil Kvyat, in one car. <laughs> There's still time, guys. There's still time. <laughs> There's still time. Get him in there. Yeah. We need we need a redemption story for Daniil. Let's, let's, get, let's get him in there, and let's get him a privateer podium finish at Le Mans. Why the hell not, right? Let's do this. Oh, if, oh, if you want to really take the piss out of him, put him in the Michaels car and see if they, see if they blow up on the first lap again. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bicolors <laughs> might be back, y'all. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still think they're way overmatched for LMP1 Privateer, but maybe with the renewal rules they have a chance, but they would probably be better stepping down to LMP2. Just just my opinion. Just my opinion. Yeah, yeah sure. Speaking of series that won't be back, unfortunately, we have to mark another sigh at the end of another oh, era of motorsport. Say goodbye. <laughs> Formula Renault, or as, as it was Formula Renault, but Formula V8 3.5 I is can't no believe more. it's not Renault. <laughs> I can't, I can't <laughs> believe it's not Renault. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> this is a bummer, isn't it? Because we, we've had many a great driver move on to, you know, greater pastures as a result of this series over the you years. Got Vettel, you got yeah. Ricardo, you got Signs, you got Robert Kubica, you had Jules. Uh, Magnuson? Yeah, we had we had Magnuson go through there as well. And those are just all the guys who made it. Yeah, absolutely. Some quality names in there. But too many pull too many plugs were pulled. Yeah. 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 First there was first there was the Renault plug being pulled and around the same time red bull and renault were going for some pretty rocky waters here's the thing while renault support helped it was the fact that red bull junior team were really willing to invest in the series as an alternative to gp2 that really helped raise the series profile there was a genuine time for about two to three years where you could argue that formula renault 3.5 was a much stronger top tier feeder category than gp2 yeah like if someone because i know the race footage is not available online if someone was like smart enough to record it record like uh gp2 and 3.5 on vhs it would make awesome to compare both the series side by side over those years because... yo at, yo at 50 bucks get on that <laughs> <laughs> shout out to kai good big fan of the show Hi Kai, um, but uh, yeah, you know those things. Are like we've had, we've had so many quality names. We'd love to have seen the comparison. That's actually a very good point in there, King, about series comparisons. But we still have a championship to fight for, eh, King. Oh God, who who won the the Pietro Fittipaldi Cup? The uh, Pietro Fittipaldi. Oh, shocker! <laughs> shocking. <laughs> shocking. <laughs> 
But we have in, in a awesome women in motorsport shout out, Tatiana Calderon getting on the podium. Yeah. In her first yeah. race. In her first race. That's awesome. Like, yes. part of that is awesome. Part of that is kind of an indication of where the series, like, te- like the series it is, where Tatiana Calderon yeah. is, uh, I would say, she's an above average driver in the series where she was GP3. And she automatically steps in this series with zero experience and gets on the podium in the first race. And it, though, to be fair, like, Bietzka Visser was in a similar spot just about a year ago. Bietzka Visser, pretty talented driver in her own right, never had a whole lot of success, even last year in pretty similar competition, which uh, whew, wasn't all that good past the top two drivers, I can say that at least. But um, great for Tatiana. Yeah. That is awesome. It is indeed. It is indeed. Well done, Tatiana. Congratulations. Yeah, that, that stock uh, is looking, that stock is going up. Yes. Yes, sir. And, and it's also going up for Pietro because he got a Porsche test as his reward. Yeah. Congratulations. Ooh. Your reward for winning the series that's going out at the end of 2017 is to drive a car that is no longer going to be driving in competition. Yo, of but course. seriously. Yo, but seriously, Pietro Fittipaldi would make a, he would make a, such an awesome addition to the road to Indy. Because I don't know how high his ceiling is as like a Formula One prospect, but if you get him over to IndyCar, as a third generation Fittipaldi, oh, the money prints yeah. itself. Like, oh, that's money. And it's like, it's not like he doesn't have the connections. Like, his uncle is Max Pappas. It's like, come on, come on. You're 20. The legend, Max Pappas. You're, 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 you're 21. That, that is like ancient in Formula One terms. Just hop over here now. Just, just, <laughs> just, just cut out the middleman. He's pretty. He's basically Brendan Hartley at this point. He's ancient. <laughs> Happy birthday, by the way, Brendan. <laughs> Happy birthday, Brent. But I do admit, uh, World Series Formula V8 3.5 in, like, the last two seasons went full, like, WCW in the year 2000, where it was just entertaining to watch, like, how crazy the organization got, because, you know, the series is organized. Right up to the point where they had a 53-year-old man in the main story. <laughs> Shout-outs to Giuseppe Cipriani, by the way. We have, we have uh, the the guy who runs the series, Jaime Aguasari Sr., threatening to sue TV2. Oh. <laughs> those like, were fun times. Uh, it went, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was entertaining to watch for all the wrong reasons. Let me just run down the list of names from the 2012 season, which I really think they should have made a documentary about. From the top, your champion Robin Friends, runner-up Jules Bianchi, Sam Bird, an early season title leader, Antonio Felix Costa ran a partial season and had more wins than anybody, Nick Yellowly, Marcus Sorensen, who's now with Aston Martin in WEC, Kevin Magnuson, Nico Moeller, a star in DTM, Indianapolis 500 winner Alexander Rossi was 11th. Ahead of Will the Lad Stevens, ahead of Mikhail Aloshin, and uh, not to... Carlos Huertas was an IndyCar Series race winner. Don't tell him how. Don't tell him how. Richie Stanaway was looking like a title contender before he broke his back, and that's just the full timers. Then you had cameos from guys like Daniel Apton, Sergey Sorotkin, and then you'll be bitterly disappointed when you look at GP2 in the year 2012. 
and in fairness, the champ was Davide Balsecchi, professional fun man. Yeah. <laughs> he, he made it worth watching. Second place, Luis Razia, who I got internet beef with. Uh, third place, Esteban. Oh, yes. <laughs> I remember this. I remember this. King, tell the people I'm about your beef with Luis Razia again. Do we have to? Uh, Yes, yes, we do. <laughs> what if I told you that a bounce check was Jules Bianchi's ticket to Formula One? Oh, yes. <laughs> what, what if I told you I got into an internet fight with Luis Razio over Natalie Finko? <laughs> <laughs> See, now you've told the listeners that, you've got, you've got to explain the full story now, King. Because like, it's been ages since you brought this up, but it is, it is still genius. <laughs> well, one day, I don't know why, <laughs> I think it's then from Jenny Gao deciding, you know, do Jenny Gao type thing where it's like, hey, what, what movie stars do F1 personalities compare to? And out of nowhere, Luis Rossi emerged, and he's compared. Um, Natalie Pinkham to an adult film star. It's like, no, Louis, no! <laughs> he, he quickly deleted his tweet, but me, knowing how important this would be, screencapped it, and then reposted it. And then, he decided not, he decided to double down once Natalie Pinkham saw my tweet. <laughs> and, oh. and tried to make it seem like a compliment. And he used the term compliment, but he didn't use an O, my friends. (laughs) He didn't use the letter O. And man, oh man, it was just, it was, it was a slow moving car crash. So in other words, he he basically called you a consonant vowel, consonant consonant. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, That's not, apparently like we're friends. I don't know where he gets that idea. We're not friends. We are not (laughs) friends. (laughs) <laughs> we're not we're, we're, we're not friends I'm ashamed of this moment <laughs> oh dear this, this was back in the days when everybody you know used, used to just go gooby eyed over Natalie Pinkham those those were the days <laughs> oh dear oh dear I haven't heard that one in years Thank you for bringing that up again, King. I needed to hear that tonight. But Good okay, Lord. after runner-up Luis Razia, we have third place Esteban Gutierrez, fourth place Max Chilton, fifth place James Collado, sixth place oh, just... Guido Vandegaard, seventh place Fabio Limer, eighth place Marcus Erickson, ninth place Johnny Chicado Jr., tenth place Felipe Massa, and in 11th... Do Brasil! <laughs> Do Brasil! Eleventh place Jolien Palmer. And if you look down... Look at 25th. Oh. Yep. Brendan Hartley. (laughs) Yes, Brendan Hartley raced that season as well as Rio Harianto, Stefano Coletti, uh, Stefano McKelvey, Daniel Young raced that season as a part-timer. Okay. Did not remember that. Diamond Felipe. (laughs) Yep. And uh, surprisingly, I'm pretty sure in both series, Jake Rosenzweig raced that year, but like a part-timer in both. I think the only thing I remember about Jake Rosenzweig is that he had a Best Buy car. Yes, he did have a Best Buy car. <laughs> That's a hell of a sponsor. <laughs> God. S- speaking of more Junior Series stuff, Formula 2 has had some news drop. Guys, Trevor's back. 
<laughs> after he Trevor said he was Trevor. abandoning the series for America. <laughs> Trevor Carlin is back in Formula 2. Like, the, the, the house is different, but uh, he's still calling it home. Um, yeah, it's funny, as, as, exactly as King pointed out. Like, he said he was going to leave the series altogether, forget, give up on Europe as a continent. And basically moved the whole program to the United States, and apparently he and still did it. Then Lando turned up. <laughs> yeah, so, because of a series of events where uh, Prima couldn't sign Lando Norris. So, how exactly could Prima not sign like the hottest talent in European Formula Three? Uh, because he... because they had they had the hottest name. Uh, they had an even hotter commodity. A name that is respected, a, a name who has multiple Formula One tests under his belt with a reputable team. You know him. You love him. Oh, God. Prima just signed Sean Galeo. Oh! Yes, because the original plan was that Prima would get at least Lando Norris with a goal of also getting George Russell. But what had happened was... Lauren Stroll said, uh, oh, hell no, <laughs> and vetoed <laughs> the deal. <laughs> Lauren Stroll was like, I'm having none of this. <laughs> yes. Uh, t- <laughs> <laughs> uh, Charles in the chat just goes, not my son's dad, I'll give you that. <laughs> well, well fitted, Charles, well, well fitted, I'll give you that one. Well, one, like, I'll call a truce on that one. But, uh, yeah, Sean Galil. It's like, hey, Prima are like the number one team now for young talent hires now in, in the world of European motorsport. They have to break the streets off. Fried chicken. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in comes Sean Galil. Like, boys, boys, the night out in Baku's gonna be awesome. They have the world's largest KFC. Oh, they do. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I'm rubbing my hands like Birdman right now. You have no idea. <laughs> it's great. Zoe Olsen was like, how long has Sean been just outside F1 now? And uh, About two years now. It, it feels yeah. like it's longer than it should be, especially for a team that's already pretty much well fully sponsored by its owners. I mean, it's like, like which is what he's... It's like if we if we count Giovinazzi, technically he kind of got into F one. Yeah, and and in fairness, like Sean Galil is pretty much responsible for getting Antonio Giovinazzi right because it was Sean Galil's father who was generous enough to help Antonio move up from Formula Three when conventional wisdom said, right, this guy's not moving up the ladder beyond this. He's going to touring cars. He's doing a DTM, and all of a sudden Ricardo Galil's like. Here, I'll let your son, I'll let son, I'll let your friend have a little bit of backing too, so he doesn't feel left out. And then look what happened in 2016. <laughs> uh, so, well, you got to start Ric- somewhere. Like, Ricardo like, Galeo is like the is like the the um, the um, inverse of Helmet Marco. He's the best dad. He's the best dad. <laughs> He's the dad that, like, you know what? Here, son, have an extra twenty quid before you go out tonight. Like he, like here, buy yourself some lunch. Um, yeah, he's that guy, and everybody loves that dad. He's like the uncle you only see every once in a while. He's great. It's, shout out to Ricardo Guillermo. Hey, I guess we have to give Sean a pass for basically helping Antonio out. Damn it, I can't. Yeah. I haven't got any more of these jokes. 
<laughs> God damn it, that's really annoying now. Shout out to Zoe got, as well. Uh, yeah, we, got, we also got 4Tech Motorsport and Chiru's Racing System, formerly known as Lotus, coming over from Formula V8 as well. So Formula 2 just got two more awesome teams on the grid, yeah. which is neat. When like people are actually worrying about the grid size in Formula 2, it's like, now we don't have that problem anymore. But who's going to fill the seats? That's always the million-dollar question. Oh, everyone, everyone and their best friend is going to be in Formula 2 next year, and it's going to be awesome. Especially their rich best friend. <laughs> Everybody, everybody's got one of those. You're gonna have the rich best friend in play, but yeah, it's it's kind of sad, but also makes things a lot more interesting that the two best British drivers in the world aren't on the best Formula Two team in the series. Hmm, that, that will make things. That would almost be, like, too monopolistic. Also, are we sure, after our discussion on Macau, that it's not three? Ooh. Just saying. Mm. That, like, the thing is, though, they're all playing on hard mode, which makes it a lot more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Like, they've unintentionally balanced the field out. <laughs> Balance performance, yo. Very Gran Turismo <laughs> sport. I'm here for it. Here for it. Right. It wouldn't be an F1 podcast without a circuit rumour. So, uh, King, spin, spin the roulette of returning tracks to see what comes up for me. Oh dear. <laughs> where, where, where are we going? Uh, is, it, is, it coming up, is it coming up orange? Are we going Dutch? Oh, We're dude, going uh, Dutch! <sighs> uh, I, I, think, I think we have matched out this joke. Oh. <laughs> Deactivate. <laughs> oh dear. Yep. It's Zanfall, everybody. Apparently, Zanfall is a potential option for an F1 return in 2020. Fun times, yo. Fun yeah, times. and somehow they're going to try and do this without tearing up the track too much. We don't, we don't want a full IndyCar situation here. <laughs> Fun times in Holland again. Holland. Holland. <laughs> Come on back to Amsterdam, everyone. Gonna get high as a kite. I can't think of anything that rhymes. Uh, but um, what do you guys make? The Zanfort good for you guys? Would that be a cool return? I'd be interesting. Yeah, it'd be interesting. It's already like a shell of its former self when F1 was last there anyway. So tearing it... Like, I wouldn't care that much if they had to tear the whole thing up. Like, because it's not what it used to be already. But King, Max broke the lap record there earlier this year. Well, he can break it again. <laughs> he really can. Like, get the interns out to press the new track record button again. That's fun. <laughs> we do it 17 times that weekend. <laughs> what a guy. So, I, I'm, I'm watching his app though. It's a nice looking track though. I do like it. It's, it's, quite, it's quite cool. I wouldn't mind seeing it. And let's be real here. The orange turnout would be insane if, yeah, if they were able to yeah like yeah, number one ridiculous. yeah you already have to admit like Zandvoort's already a travel destination it's like a Dutch beach resort town like Ooh. like adding a Formula 1 race to Zandvoort's like tourist calendar the amount of orange there it would be I'm pretty sure you'd go colorblind like everything would just be an orange tint after you left 
King, spring, spring break in Zandvoort? <laughs> spring break in Zandvoort. Oh, this sounds like the best terrible idea. <laughs> spring break! <sighs> in Zandvoort. I've not seen this place since they raced on it in A1 Grand Prix, and it was a fun racetrack back then. <laughs> we did bring back A1 Grand Prix, oh, just, 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 just for the record. <laughs> yeah, we almost did. Yeah. We almost did. Almost. We're so close. Thanks, Rosso. You ruined it. You ruined it for everybody. One Especially more piece. for yeah. Zoe. Yep. One more piece of news. Finally, just to wrap up before we go into the mailbag for the week. Kobayashi, everybody. He's back, but not where you expect him to be. He's going to make it his return in the Formula E season debut for Series 4 in Hong Kong next weekend. And you can watch the highlights of it on BT Sports. <laughs> Yay. Um, us Brits are sort of sport for choice here now. So if you like, like, the thing is, the guys who have the exclusive rights for Formula E in this country is going to be Eurosport this year. So British Eurosport will get the Formula E live. Right now they'll get every single race live. But Channel 5 will get some of the races live. And they announced this week that they're going to have Vernon Kay as their lead host, which is interesting. And now, oh, okay. And now they have a BT Sport deal. Yeah, like I was, I was under the impression that only Channel Five would be broadcasting. I just assumed that there would be no possible way to watch it live. Oh, you just have to pay for it. Oh, I'm cool now. I thought it, like you guys were like legitimately had a reason to be salty. No, we don't. To be <laughs> honest, like this, this is this is just standard British entitlement, like 101 right here. But when you combine British entitlement and the hive mind that is Formula E, the most perfect sport in the world, according to certain to certain people, like it's a dangerous mix that ends up in an explosive amount of ego bashing and entitlement. In the sense of why can't we have Formula E on free television? Well, who doesn't have British Eurosport these days? Like. Everyone does. So, like, like, I don't see what the problem is here. And everyone's just mad that Channel 5, basically, all they do really these days is play reruns of Peppa Pig and play World's Strongest Man eight months after it's happened during Christmas. <laughs> which, which, by the way, is my favorite Christmas tradition, by the way. Like, pigs in blankets and watching World's Strongest Man over Christmas. Good times. <laughs> because they have my favorite football pundit, James Richardson, doing the coverage. He's great. Uh, but, yeah. Like, the the coverage thing is a, is a crock of shit. It's people complaining for the sake of complaining. And I love that uh, old woman Zoe in our Discord chat just goes, Back in my day, I would depend on the radio feed if I had to. <laughs> back in my day, when we used to race back in faraway places like Putrajaya. <laughs> <laughs> that legendary venue. Back in my day where there was only one powertrain supplier. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, it that was... feels like such a long time ago already. Damn. God, it really does. Yo, remember when Aguri Suzuki ran a team? I know. You remember when Yarno truly ran a team? <laughs> I know. Remember when Michaela Shiruti was in the other seat? <laughs> I know. Remember when <laughs> Takuma Sato just rocked up because... Amlin Aguri didn't have Antonio Felix da Costa's round. Remember when he's at fastest lap? Remember <laughs> when Andretti just had random drivers just rock up to rounds? <laughs> Yo, remember when the fan boost vote actually meant something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when the teams realized, hey, we could game this. Remember when Nelson PK won the first championship? Oh dear God! God. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when NetzDV was Team T- 
Team China? Remember Team China. Remember when we thought Punta del Este would be the crown jewel of the Formula E calendar? <laughs> Remember oh, when Manny Brabham had an emotional breakdown on the side of the track? Oh, my God. <laughs> when Bay doesn't love you anymore. <laughs> and, who, and who doesn't remember Fast Frank Matani? Oh, God. Resident Canadian has mentioned that Jacques Villeneuve did race in this series. <laughs> he means political dumps for coke. Oh, this series has had way too many moments for its seemingly <laughs> short history. We are about to like we we need to get Matt to do like like MST Formula E when he's not so busy. Well, there was a pilot. There was a pilot. There really was. You can do a season review instead. Just review some of the funny stuff. It would be great. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I've tried to review. I've tried to go race by race with Formula E. At a certain point, people just—I don't know. Because the thing is, it's—it's—it's it's, mm, it's good in such a consistent way that it gets boring. <laughs> like, it's—it's it's that thing where people always warn you there is so, so something as too much of a good thing, and that was early form. That was season one and season two of Formula E. We got way too much of a good thing, and we kind of got burnt out. <laughs> You know what we call that now? We call it the World Motorcycle Grand Prix Championship. <laughs> oh my god, Trey. <laughs> hey, Charles, you can start drinking now. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I had to be that guy. Obnoxious bike fan. <laughs> that is me now. Uh, but, uh, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be talking a little bit about that, getting into Season 4 of Formula E next week's, on next week's show. But Kobayashi's back. That should be fun. Because Kobayashi's great. Right. Into the mailbag, we got a few questions on this one, and uh, I said in in a, in a moment of generosity that you could ask us anything you liked. I, I lifted the motorsport restriction this week because I'm I'm edgy like that. Right, let's get into the mailbag. Look, Brian asks, who were your motorsport heroes growing up? I love that I opened that with a motorsport question. Go me, that was very clever. Um, who were your motorsport heroes growing up, and how did you react when they decided to hang up their helmets? That's a good question. Oh, like, mm. like for me, my first heroes. I never really got to see them really hang up the helmet, like, because they left motor racing under like either just like unfortunate or like confusing circumstances. Go on. So, like, my two favorites were Alex Zanardi and Mika Hakkinen. <laughs> Ah. <laughs> so it's like Zanardi, we obviously knew he obviously had his career ending accident. And Of course. And Hackenden had his sabbatical, so I just assumed, oh he's gonna come back. He's gonna come back, right? He's gonna come back and he just never he came back. back. But he never returned. <laughs> Don't worry, uh, King, for there is another. His name was Kimmy. <laughs> yes, and then I was uh, then I was like then, yeah, on the Formula 1 side of things, Kimmy was my next favorite driver. Then Lewis came, and then, yeah, I was a Lewis fan. You uh, fell for Corporation Lewis, too? That was me! Yeah, who, <laughs> who didn't fall for Corporation Lewis? Corporation Lewis was the best Lewis. <laughs> Very true. Very um, true. Juan Pablo Montoya left in Acrimonian Formula 1, uh, <laughs> left in Acrimonian NASCAR, although he also didn't want to run out the string for bad teams. And, you know, good for him for that. Um, 
and kind of just fell to the wayside in IndyCar again at the end of his second run after losing his best chance at a title in the last race of the season. Gosh. I, I There was a point in time when I was really invested into Bobby Labonte in the late 90s because his car looked so dope. And then I saw him close down his career. I'm just like, Bobby, you should have hung this up like <laughs> five or seven years ago, man. That's the thing about those Labonte brothers. They just didn't know the word quit. Yeah. Goddamn. For better and for worse. Goddamn champions provisional. <laughs> oh, what about me? Well, it's weird because like, my first hero was Michael Schumacher. And, well... I was really, really salty against Fernando Alonso after 2005 when they basically said, fuck you, Ferrari, by that point. <laughs> and, like, they basically rigged it so that, you know, the Michelin runners would all be OP. And, yeah, like, 2006 came around, he retired the first time, and I, I, I was I was devastated, man. I was, like, I, I don't remember anything from that Monza weekend besides me crying relentlessly. It, it wasn't pretty. Um, like, and, I, and I mean, like, ugly crime. Because, like, I'd grown up with Michael in red, not knowing any better since, like, 1999. Um, it wasn't great. But then he came back in 2010. And that was kind of cool for a little bit. And then you hung it up again. And, you know, it was more of a... It was more of a... Yeah, it's, it's probably the right time, Michael. Then it pushed you out the door for Lewis anyway. So, um, yeah, like... It was nice. The second time wasn't so bad. Like, the second time it was kind of cool because Michael had mellowed out a bit more. He was a bit more, you know, you know, a bit more of a people person. He'd been on Top Gear that year as like as like the Stig, which by the way is still my one of my all time favorite Top Gear moments right there. When it's like, is it Susan Boyle? Is it Susan Boyle? And it's like it's and like my whole family was watching Top Gear that night, and it was like. Everybody was in shock when it was Michael Schumacher. It was like, oh my god! We <laughs> were like, oh! It was, it was, it's my all-time favorite Top Gear moment because nobody like I watched it with my whole family and none of us saw it coming. It was genius. Um, like it was. <laughs> I do have tangent. I have tangential question to ask. Well, you, you two, best, best coming out of retirement and having young guy as a teammate pairing. Michael Schumacher, Nico Rosberg, or Michael Jordan and Kwame Brown. <laughs> <laughs> I will, I will, abs- I will abstain. Jason's <laughs> <laughs> abstaining. He's voided his ballot. Um, no, nah, man, the Mercs, the Mercs come back with. Um, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> got a bit of a cold on me still. <clears throat> um, yeah. The uh, the Michael Rosberg combination was fun, man. Like that was that was good times. Like Rosberg finally getting his factory team dues. You know, Michael had you know Michael still had his uh, his Monaco twenty twelve, which is still you know kind of magic, really. Um, <laughs> I love that Charles goes Michael Andretti and Marco Andretti. Oh yeah, in that, the chat. yeah, Michael's come back. Okay, that's worth a mention. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, because yeah, because because you know inadvertently Michael's comeback all arguably at the end cost his son a chance to win as a rookie. <sighs> Whoops, that must have been a frosty post race dinner. <sighs> like, in fairness, he was trying his best. He just couldn't keep a hard charging Sam Hornish behind him. It's a problem. 
Next question from friend of the show, Tom Stanley. Hi, Tom. He goes, Hi, Tom. He says, uh, Dre mentioned that he has plans to go to Goodwood next year. He does indeed. What does the rest of the panel's plans for attending motorsport events next season? Um, yeah. Um, I, I did promise a certain multicolored-haired Scottish friend of the show we'd go to Goodwood together next year. Even if it's going to cost me an arm and a leg to do it. Like, I'm, we're already starting to run some of the numbers and, uh... Whew, oh boy. We're looking at probably like the best part of, in American, like, maybe a grand. Oh, yeah. Like, that's... Yeah. It's... it's Yeah. Like, I mean, that's, how, that's, like, about how much I spent to go to Montreal last year. Really? Like, that's, like, like including, like... Like, every... Like, everything... Everything that I spent, so food, everything. Yeah, brother, like I don't know where I'm going. I'm just saving up a lot of money so that I can have money to go wherever I want to. Seems like a good plan, quite frankly. Yeah, <laughs> like, probably to Barber again. I miss Barber. Yeah, I'm probably gonna do. Yeah, I'm doing New York E Prix because that's like easy for me to do. Uh, of course, probably like maybe Montreal. Like I was gonna do some IndyCar races. Like I wanted to do Watkins Glen, but that can't happen for obvious reasons. How about Portland? <laughs> oh God, no! That is no. That is way out of budget. I can't find it on the coast. Let's. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd also like to do at least one round at Brands again for um, the British Superbike Championship. Um, that'd be pretty cool. Johnson, if you're listening, hook a brother up. Um, <laughs> you, you know how this is. We can have banter and spend six pounds on corn dogs. It's fun. But, um, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Um, a part of me is tempted to see if I can do MotoGP at Silverstone next year. Now that's actually been confirmed. Um, you know, the, you know that, um, the MotoGP is going back to Silverstone for the next three years. But that's going to be a fucking nightmare to get to travel-wise because everybody knows when it comes to Silverstone, it's a it's in the middle of nowhere and it's awful transport-wise. Yeah, I'd say uh, the the easy hint is try to go there the day before because everyone just tries to go there the same day. It's re- going to be ridiculous. Fun times, but um, yeah, it's, yeah. Hope that helps, Tom. Thanks for the question, my man. Um, Vangelis asks. Summer versus winter. Which season is best and why? This is a you motor- winter man or a summer man? This is a motorsport <laughs> podcast. You really think? Gonna say <laughs> you really think I'm going to say winter? Yeah. Um, I, um, I, 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 both I, are bad. Summer is unseasonably warm and muggy and disgusting. Winter is cold and miserable, and I don't ever want to leave the house. Yeah, like I agree with RJ, but. Motor motorsport makes summer worth it, so like spring break. <laughs> it is never worth it having to walk back from work in a hot car that is that is matte black. That is true. And you just in- and you just gotta grab the door handle and know your hands are gonna burn. And you get in to grab the leather uh, steering wheel and you know it's gonna burn. Uh, known Scott Zoe in the chat goes so summer rain winter rain. <laughs> this is how true is, for us. How are spring and autumn looking? It, no, it, it, it seems uh, like a more of a case. Do you do you like your your rain when it's when it's you know kind of bright out, or do you like do you do you like your rain when it's completely pitch black outside? Yes. 
Next question from Henry Chapman who asks, why is the Monster Energy Cup series rigged for the Toyotas? <laughs> I, I disagree. I believe it is rigged against the Utes. Yes. <laughs> of course. Oh, dear. I, I had to get that one in because I thought it was funny. Well, where'd it go, Henry? Nice job. Um, there you Semi unrelated. Who are some major social media stars who you think you can think of who are also huge racing fans? My best choice would be Neil. Will be Will Nee. And I, I, the, what didn't help was that Henry put Jake Paul was at the NASCAR yesterday. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because Miami. Uh, but yeah, probably like if I'm like basically what this question boils down to is. Who do you really want to give a shout out to as a racing fan but doesn't produce racing content? What do you mean I have to give props to Allier who was at the British Grand Prix last year and didn't put a single picture up from the British Grand Prix? <sighs> if I were to give a shout out to one person, I'd probably say uh, my channel from outside Xbox. He's a big F1 fan, and I love outside. I mean, like I love outside of Xbox. It's a good YouTube channel. Subscribe to them. Um, Bill, Bill Burr, stand-up comedian, um, talks makes pretty much Formula One a routine part of his podcast now. So it's kind of like straddling the line. But this yeah. is another person who's like not known for known for one thing enti- entirely different from Formula One. You know, just something of like absurdist humor and you know just dead end career choices. So yeah, this is this is very much like Formula One. Um, Zoe puts Damien Power in the chat as well. And that's sure, that's, like, that's yeah. cheating. Yeah, he's like, he's obligated to be a fan. Like, even if he didn't like racing, he's obligated to like racing. Right, right. <laughs> like, I know Adam Hills is a big F1 guy. Um, let me think. I'm trying to think of people that are big race fans. Um, I know, I know um, Robert Llewellyn is, who, you know, in case you guys don't know who he is, Crichton from Red Dwarf. Um, kind of a big deal over here. Um, my boy Craig Charles is a big is a is a big racing fan as well. I know that one. I'm trying to think. There's like there's not a lot of people. Okay, I'm gonna give a shout out to King Batch for the, the former Fine Star who was at the American Grand Prix earlier this year. I know Trevor Noah is a big race car fan as well. Like that's another uh, good one. He's a big Lewis Hamilton fan. Like there's close I, enough. There, there, is, <laughs> there is a lot of Lewis Hamilton fans. <laughs> How dare you imply such a... Yes, he's absolutely right. (laughs) On that one. But uh, I think that is about that. Um, Yeah, I think we'll call it a day on that one. Um, Oh, Paper Town's author is Indy Coffin. That's um, that's John Green. Um, Oh, yeah, John Green, Indianapolis native. Love him. Subscribe to his YouTube channel, Vlog Bros. Yeah, he's great. Big Wimbledon fan as well, if you ask Adam Johnson about that. He'll tell you all about Wimbledon, <laughs> AFC Wimbledon stories all day. Um, so check him out as always. At AJ Version, at AJ Version 1 on Twitter, find him, um, if you haven't already. But yeah, that'll just about do it for this week's show. And uh, we had a blast this week. This was fun. Uh, and we went over two hours again, so go us. Um, quick run down so you can find us one more time. YouTube and Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport101. Motorsport101.net on our website. On Twitter, we are at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, that's with two Ks, and at RJ O'Connell, of course, our podcast itself, at Motorsport underscore 101. Um, and of course, if you're really, really lucky, so you can back us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash 
um, Motorsport 101. $5 early access will get you access to this show and Bike Live early. Don't forget to listen to Bike Live last week and this week on Saturday as well um, for our great big British and world superbike season review. Shaky Bird, Leon Haslam, Jonathan Ray, all that fun stuff. All that in there, up in the grill this weekend. Should be great. So, from me, Andre Harrison, and from RJ O'Connell and Ryan King, thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Rosie listens to our podcast. <laughs> he, he's, he's too busy choking the chicken. Oh my god. No, that's the thing. Luis Rossi has her secret uh, big high roller uh, Patreon backer. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Does this, does like his money transfers actually go through? Damn, you're right. <laughs> turns, yeah, it turns out his last payment was declined, yo. Oof. God.